Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, that's not kind of Productions podcast. Dark Satellite Media. Cinema Salon. It is I, Jean von Banyard, the cinema baron, putting the sin back into cinema. And today, Sinise, we have another interview. And we are interviewing an old friend of mine who has put together a rather snazzy little short horror film that I was very impressed by. And I wanted to talk to him about it. So thus, I am talking about it with him today. Who is he? I will let him introduce himself. Take it away. Good to be on your show, Gene. Uh, I'm RJ Riddle, uh, director of In the Pitch Black, which has just started doing the festival circuit now. Very good, very good. Yes, uh, thank you, RJ, if I may call you RJ, <laughs> for today's interview. You can call me. You can call me Russ, actually. Okay, Russ. Everybody else you. does. <laughs> Let's break. We'll break kayfabe. Uh, yes, good to see you, Russ. And yeah, well done on the short film. I was genuinely very impressed as you know i'm not i'm not the easiest person to impress i can be a bit of a critic a bit of an elitist prick even uh when it comes to art but i was very impressed with this work um it struck me in terms of the emotional contact content but especially in the way formally that it was put together but we'll get into that uh definitely um so first of all Let's just paint the picture and frame everything for yourself as a filmmaker in terms of In the Pitch Black. It is a Borderlands production. So what is Borderlands production and who is involved? Well, actually, it's called um, Borderless. Oh, I am. I put that down wrong in my notes. Bugger. <laughs> that's that's okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. that my producer would kill me if I didn't correct that. But. Yes, my apologies, <laughs> producer. Okay. Um, yeah, Borderless Productions. Who and what is involved there, Russ? Well, basically, it's an upstart independent film company that um, a friend of mine has decided to, you know, step out of the, of the rabble of the hierarchy and, and sort of get uh you know get together his friends and 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 me being on his list we decided you know we'll try and get this off the ground and sort of make different kinds of things but mostly focus towards the the horror genre oh seriously okay yeah 
uh, interesting. So this was like the first, um, <clears throat> the first entry into the, into into that into that company. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and we're sort of yeah, we're we're developing um, a feature version actually. Oh, oh. So, oh, using like this that. one as using this one as the concept. Um, okay, okay. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, first of all, first of all, I want to touch on you wanted to get out of the the rebel, uh, the hierarchy. So like. Um, do you mean you want to basically, as I read that, you want to pull together the people you know and trust to work with, that you know you can work with, um, to do your own thing? Is that what you mean, or what do you mean? Well, there isn't really any sort of connection with a lot of filmmakers um, mm -hmm. in Queensland from what I've seen personally. And what I really want to do is to sort of, you know, stop being part of the rat race for a bit and observe it, mm -hmm. you know, and observe like how people interact and, and then sort of suss out the people that we know want to work in, in a, in a team and sort of sure. build, build from there. Because, um, after doing a lot of research over the last couple of years, um, personal and, and, and also, you know, in, uh, leading up to my masters as well, Mm -hmm. um i'm sort of i've been I've, I've been finding that the the reason why certain film generations succeed is because of the people that are friends with each other so like if you look at hollywood as a as a example um with the with the movie brats like spielberg and scorsese and and, yeah. and all of them they were friends yeah and and that's what we need here in Queensland mm -hmm. is a cohesive network rather than, mm -hmm. you know, this person being exclusive to this and that person being exclusive to that. Yeah, no, I agree with that entirely. Um, when I was jokingly saying before, Alicia's prick when it comes to art, you know, like I'm hard to please in that sense, but that's in terms of the final product and uh, final product. In terms of the proce process, I couldn't agree with you more. It is about um, who you know, who you can trust and who you are friends with. You know, like the friendship thing, thing is what creates the magic behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Definitely when you're putting together a piece of art and like film and our case yes in our context so i couldn't agree more with that um okay uh now and yeah i do know where you're coming from as well queensland does need that brisbane needs that as well just to bring it back bring it back home <laughs> definitely um so i you know i appreciate and respect what you were doing definitely one of the reasons also i liked in the pitch black as a work of art but i definitely like what you're doing and your attitude behind things as well so respect to you for that now, in the pitch black, it's, uh, yeah, presented, as I saw it, as a Twilight Zone-style TV show homage to, homage to. It is replete with a Rod Serling-esque narr narrator. So how is the Twilight Zone an influence on In the Pitch Black? And is it an influence on your work as a filmmaker in general? Well, it's definitely, it's definitely a huge influence on me creatively. Um, I mean, I, I, I grew up watching the, the reruns with my grandmother and um, it was sort of a way of us being able to communicate with each other as well oh, as connect, 
and um, you know she really introduced me to uh, a lot of things horror um, really early so that was you know our connection but I never saw horror as being something scary I always thought it as as something that was dark but really creative and mm -hmm. and with Twilight Zone um, that's like pure imagination like put to mm. film like mm. everything that Rod Selling did even his lesser stuff like Night Gallery it's just like it pretty much started the science fiction genre as we know it today absolutely absolutely on the on, on the darker side of things on the more mysterious side of things um certainly um because what were the spin-offs of well not spin-offs like what were the shows that came after they were influenced by i can think of sapphire and steel on the british end of things but what were the american uh, well you have outer limits you have yeah. um i mean even things that were more realistic like um, I mean, there's a whole long list, really, but Canadians really picked that sort of stuff up too because they did. Um, they were responsible for um, "Are You Afraid of the Dark," which is a huge influence of mine as well. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like like I say, Outer Limits. You also had um, Erie, Indiana in the '90s. There was yeah, yeah, like, that's goosebumps right. and of course, there you go. Yeah, you can see its influence, its long-lasting influence, definitely For throughout sure. time. Yeah, and on television and in films as well, definitely. Well, I mean, you uh, wouldn't have M Night Shyamalan without um without yeah. Twilight Zone either. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So in the pitch black now, as I say, it is presented as a Twilight Zone style TV show. So, just clarification for my sake, in the pitch black. Is that is this you is this going to be a series or is in the pitch black the name of the short film itself? Well, or in, if that makes sense. In the pitch black is presented like a TV series. Yep. Um, actually, when I started directing it, it was originally going to be a um, a TV series that we would pitch. Um, but we've also uh, since then done a lot of research on how to get financing for a, t for a TV series versus how to get financing for a feature film. And we decided to go the feature film route first. Yeah. Not to okay. say that we're not going to do the, the TV series at all, but um, it's just easier with a lot less, you know, hurdles and stuff like that to jump through in my position anyway um, to, to make a feature. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, understood, understood. Uh, yo, I look forward to that, certainly. Um, and we will keep everyone updated there, Sinise, certainly. Okay, now, these are the questions. Yeah, now we're getting into what really interested me about the uh, film, now that we've laid the groundwork. In the Pitch Black focuses on the childhood fear of the dark and of adulthood. Are you pulling on your own experiences to cinematically convey these fears? Most definitely. Uh, strangely enough, um, as uh, like I, I like dealing with the horror genre, um, and that doesn't scare me really at all. But um, I can't sleep in, in 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 darkness. So I have to have like oh. a, a TV on or something like that. Um, okay. Because of childhood traumas that have, um, you know, basically been life. Oh. Yeah, I understand a hundred percent. Yep. yep so, yep. um, yeah, I'm, I, I, I am actually still, still afraid of the dark. Strangely enough. Interesting. Interesting. Um, 
I can, I, I can, from my end, I can sleep in the dark, but I can't sleep in silence. I oh, have to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, silence. Um, uh, scares not the word, but it unnerves me. Left alone with my own thoughts is not a good thing. Yep, <laughs> too much. Left alone too much with my own thoughts. I think that's every creative's every creative's mind ever. Like, <laughs> 100%, 100%. every one of us is our worst enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does interest me that um, horror doesn't scare you, but you find very creative. Uh, but you are afraid of the dark. That's an interesting juxtaposition. You don't have to go into it. Just, just noting that. Yeah. It, it comes down to personal experience. Like for me, I think the thing that scares me the most about the dark was when I was nine years old. A, um, I didn't have a cat, but a black cat jumped in my window. And woke, and woke me up by landing on my lap. And okay. then um, that, that, funnily enough, that actually led to my, um, to my interest in Outer Limits, which I liked before Twilight Zone. But um, I, woke, I woke up to this cat jumping on my lap. And um, I, it, it, basically what happened was the TV straight away started playing the intro to Outer Limits. And for those people who haven't seen Out of Limits, the intro begins by telling people that it's in control of your TV. Um, you know, it can do, you know, this, this, this. And uh -huh. for a nine, you know, for an eight or nine year old kid, um, that that's reality. You don't know that the TV's not alive. You just assume it is. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That's fantastic. Hmm. Hmm. And I'll touch on the black cat again as we get more into the film, just to see if that is uh, that symbol, that metaphor has played its part in the bitch black, because I've got a suspicion that it has. Um, and uh, where did you get the idea? Yeah, well, we can leave this to the next question. Brilliant segue. Where did you get the ideas, idea of a sh uh, shadows being afraid of their humans and shadows being, and also at the same time, human, uh, so let me start that again. Where did you get the idea of shadows being afraid of their humans and shadows being a comfort to their humans? Because that's what I saw in the pitch black. I saw that little interplay, that, yeah, that I sort of, relationship. I, <laughs> admittedly, I sort of ripped it off from, um, from James Barry with Peter Pan. Oh, okay. Huh. Because at the start where um, the shadow becomes detached from um, Peter, and he chases her um he chases his shadow around the room and eventually ends up trying to sew it back on huh. with um soap, I think. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Um Which, funnily enough, that's why I called the main kid um Peter. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who is a female character there, uh, Sinise? So, um, but there is the, I don't know if it's Dutch or something, P-E-T-A. Is that the spelling you use? Yeah, it's P-E-T-A, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So nice, nice uh, flip there. Um, okay, so just um, backtracking a little there, you're talking about the black cat that landed on your lap. Um, and the outer limits with the TV being alive. Um, now, in, in the pitch black, we have the shadow people, for want of a better word. Uh, shadow people are also a part of mythology and folklore and have been for a very, very long time, if not millennia, yeah? Mm. Um, 
and uh, the black cat and the TV being alive as well, you could also put into that mythological framework. Uh, with the uh, as the with the cat and the TV, did that help fuel uh, your representation of the shadow people in your film? I think it did in a sense because I mean I, I had experiences. Um, later on in my life, when my brother was a lot, when my brother was born, um, but um, it's sort of like a, an ongoing thing all the way through my life, being able to see these things. Um, but I never really felt threatened by them. Whereas I've seen, you know, I saw the documentary, The Nightmare, uh, which was 2015, and um, everybody on that was saying how horrible, how horrified they they felt. Um, and I wanted to incorporate that with the first. With the with the first interaction between the shadow people and the and the Peter character, um, but I also didn't want the short film to be just about this horrifying thing that they experienced, and I wanted to sort of, you know, make twi uh, sort of like twist twist the whole thing on its head and sort of show the the good side of it, the the the, the benevolent side, the more you know connected side. Yeah, yeah, no, I do understand. Because um, my next question here, are the shadow people symbols of domestic unease or distress? And in a way, you've kind of already answered that. And and do the shadow people have a stronger sense of family than, the, than their corporal counterparts? Because there's a bit of domestic unease in the, uh, in the pitch black at the start as well, yeah? Um, the father... As uh, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't call him an alcoholic, but he's more interested in having a drink on his on his favourite chair when he comes home from work. Uh, the mother is an overworked nurse, and the daughter is pretty much allowed to do her own thing. And the mother and daughter don't they don't hate each other, but they don't necessarily get along. It's quite a realistic portrayal of kind of like an average family, pretty much, yeah, of a family that's been together for a while. While, you know um the parents have been married together for a while and um it's a bit apathetic here um the spark perhaps is gone that sort of thing um and what i noticed with the character of peter uh at first it shows that uh she is scared but um of the shadows but all, but then you see peter's shadow side as well where she has a very familial strong almost loving relationship with the man in the hat the head shadow person um and there was more of a stronger family dynamic um in the shadow world, in the for the um, in the domestic context, than there was in the light world in the domestic uh, context. Um, and from what you're saying, from when you were younger um, and growing up, and how you've perceived horror and mythology and such, um, it's uh, it's been a it's almost been a form of fascination and almost a form of comfort. Um, and even though you are, say, to this day, afraid of the dark, you seem to make friends with the shadows. You seem to make friends with the outer limits um, through your curiosity, through, through a sense of your own unease about the whole thing. But you've made, a, you've made friends with it all, if that makes sense. It does. And, like, I sort of, 
yeah, you know, the complexities of the human mind, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get into words, so I hope I am conveying. But you are absolutely right, because um, the way that I sort of wanted to um, sh show the human characters versus the shadow characters was that, um, you know, humanity is, is, is actually darker than what the darkness is. Here's a message from the devil here playing around with one yours. Here's a message to the fuckboy you've been keeping around with yours. Laying the bodies out, moving the dirt. There's people gonna die, man, seen as absurd. between um, her mother and her father while she falls asleep and it all triggers everything weird from there and um, the the shadow characters like they're, they're dark entities but they're always shown in these vibrant colors like yeah so like you never really see the connection between the human mother and the and and, and Peter because they're in the darkness but when the shadow characters come in this like very vibrant red that takes over and it's yeah. sort of it's sort of in, in, a, in a sense it's kind of my my sort of way of saying you know what's what's often scariest isn't scary at all the same thing is dealing with animals for example like some some animals won't attack you because they that's not in their nature but they will attack you if you back them into a corner interesting and we demonize a lot of animals as well when they're merely protecting themselves up snakes yeah. sh or, sharks the list goes or their on carbs or, or or whatever it might be like yeah. bears for example people yeah. going into their habitat i mean if somebody walked into my lounge room i'd be quite violent too yeah 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 definitely definitely Mm, that is fascinating. That is fascinating. Because also, because um, through my own work and my own um, way of looking at things as well, um, I've learned to make peace and friends with my shadows and shadow side. If you want to go, you know, look at Carl Jung's way of looking at the shadow side of the self. Certainly. It's interesting you bring that up because a lot mm -hmm. of the psychoanalytical stuff went in there as well. <laughs> yeah, from the okay. animus and all of that so yeah, yeah okay i thought so i thought so definitely um and there is the strong interplay between red and blue uh as well uh which i found fascinating and the way that you described the use of red when the shadow people come out to play um as opposed to the blue uh you're flipping it kind of to put it basically like the red may, may uh, represent danger, but it can also represent warmth and comfort as well. Exactly. Yeah. Blue can represent uh, calmness, but it can also represent a coldness and an emotional mm. neglect as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Um, and just finally with the, um, not finally, but just on the shadow people, uh, the hat man's there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I'm sure a lot of Sinise out there know what we're talking about with the hat man. People have talked about it on YouTube and documentaries for years now, <gasps> seeing the hat man and the waking dream state and that sort of thing. Um, tall man, long coat, black, wide rimmed hat. Uh, the shadow, the, I'm um, sorry, the shadow, uh, blah, 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 blah. Slender man is kind of a contemporary version of the, uh, the hat man, also continuation of the shadow people mythology. But the hat man in particular, did you draw on that directly? Me? Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, actually, that was a big part of the, of why um, the light doesn't, um, flick on at the end um, is because the, the the presence of the hat man there takes over the it sort of trumps everything else it's like they go into his world because you know he's the most powerful entity now and uh, from what I've read um, the hat man is a very like dangerous type ca- mm. dangerous type character um, you know I've never actually experienced the hat man before myself <laughs> But, no, neither. Um, I, I, I do know of it from, like I said, the, the Rodney Asher um, documentary in 2015. And also when you, I have this thing where when I'm working on a new project, no matter how long I'm working on it for, I'll do as much research as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked on this, like I started coming up with the concept back, you know, almost 12 years ago. Um, okay. And at the time, I didn't know too much about shadow people. Um, I only knew what, you know, the most I knew about like shadows and demons and dreams and stuff like that was um, Freddy Krueger. Okay. Okay. Was that your, just, yeah, we can digress a touch. Was that your first foray into horror film, like proper horror, not mystery television, but horror film? Um. I think Chucky was actually. I was a Chucky first. Okay, okay. But that, that's 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 another story as well because um I've got a lifelong phobia of dolls because of <laughs> because of child's play. So. <laughs> um yeah, I mean like a lot of people laugh at Chucky now, but. Uh when they see him and they didn't grow up with Chucky, but they don't understand. Well, when, you, when, you, when you're six, six, seven year, year old hey. kid that's curious and, and, you know, you see this sort of thing on TV, then it's yeah. like, well, it's, it, it's, it's different when you're a kid, I think. If you grow up on that sort of stuff, um, it affects you differently um, than it does when you sort of come into it later on from what I've seen. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Freddy Krueger freaked the shit out of me because I saw <laughs> it. I watched Nightmare, the original, way too young, um, and then I went to bed, and there was a bookshelf, uh, and the way the light from outside, from the street lamp, I guess, was hitting the bookshelf, it created his hat, the shadow of his hat <laughs> along the wall, and I just sat, laid there, looking at it for six hours, terrified. Um, <laughs> Um, but not to get too far off track. Um, yeah, Freddy Krueger um, invading the dreams. Is, yeah, and shadow people are invading that waking dream state as well. They are dream monsters, definitely. I get that. Um, but yeah, the guy also who voiced, uh, I you know, played, physically played, of course, he had the perfect look. Uh, but the who was the actor who voiced the hat man? Oh, um, he was uh, uh, Connor Clark. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. He um, yeah. 
I met him on a set of another short film, um, and he worked on um, on um, what was that movie called? I know this one. He's worked on a really big movie. I know that it was directed by Chris Stenders, who who's quite good too. But um, Danger Close. That's it. Sorry, what was that? That do you remember the movie called Danger Close that came out not too long ago? It was a war film. No, I don't. Sorry, no. Well, anyway, Connor was on that before he was work, before he worked with me, and uh-huh. um, he was he wants to get into being more um, like like monster like monster type stuff, you know. Interesting. Interesting. So I thought, well, I'll hire him to see, you know, because I I needed somebody really tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get because you. Because you can't you. have Hatman without like someone with that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And he's wanting to get into more, um, uh, what would you call it? Uh, monster acting, um, you know, like Doug Jones. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly okay. Like him. yeah. okay. I got you. I got you. And uh, Sydney, if you don't know Doug Jones, he's the fish man from uh, The Shape of Water. He is the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. He is the other fish guy from Hellboy. I forget that character's name. Um, one of the greatest physical actors out there, a hundred percent. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, and this guy, um, I think he has the capability from what I saw in, 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 in the pitch black, uh, because he had the physical presence, but he was able to make a, like Freddy Krueger, uh, a creature of nightmare, but make them comforting. Yeah. Mm like a really fatherly comforting figure. And his voice was fantastic as well. The voice really played a part of that. It was, so and like, I didn't have to manipulate it too too much either, which was great. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, we'll get on to um, the cast and crew soon and give them a shout out, certainly. Now we talked about the strong sense of blue and red throughout and the interplay of color there, uh, wonderfully done. Um, uh, well, um, but another technical question. At the start, where the nurse mum's coming home in from work into the house, and I think it's a steady cam you're using to show her point of view. We um we actually used uh, just a not off the shoulder um, camera rig. Oh, was it really? Yeah, funnily enough, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, very nice uh, camera work there. Uh, very fluid motion. Who was your DOP? Uh, Nils Nilsson, he's actually my usual DOP. Um, I've worked with him on uh, two projects previ- previously, and um, he's just always done a phenomenal job. And every time that we work together, I don't really need to. It's like we have a, a, a bond. You know, when you hear like directors talking about the DOPs that they love working with because yeah. they just click, that's yeah. what we've got. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah, that's um, essential to making great cinema. Definitely, that's good to hear. Uh, I was very impressed by the mirror shot. Yeah, yeah. When you're looking at the mirror, and then it suddenly pans quickly to the right, and it throws you off for a moment. It's a little a slightly disorienting, disorientating, and you go, "Oh, they were looking in the mirror." There, I had to rewind it a couple of times to make sure <laughs> I, I got what I was looking at. Now, from a theoretical point of view, was that just a bit of trickery, a bit of fancy camera work, or was that foreshadowing? Well, the way that I saw it was that if I wanted, if 
people were going to watch something that was about family, then every character needed to be in it. And okay. I didn't sort of have the shadow characters introduced straight away because it would take away from the mystery and the suspense. Just watch your mic so, there. You, you got a little faint on the mic there. Um, That's better. Yeah, so like I basically, um, I wanted to create this, uh, this, this effect that sort of like was one shot where it incorporated every single character into it without shot, without you know showcasing the shadow characters straight away. Yep. Um, and in order to do that, um, Nils and I came up with um, with whip with a whip pan that mm -hmm. would yep. you know straight away throw the, the audience off because then it was like well, like you know just sort of like a little hint, kind of like Pile of Dirt and at the start of um, Fight Club where he just blinks in and out. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, really well done. Really well done. Achieved everything you wanted to achieve there. Um, is there anything else before we get into what you're up to yourself as a filmmaker? Is there anything else I want to cover in the film itself? Um, yeah, so um, let's, uh, let's, let's go. Let's do a shout out for the cast. Let's cover the cast. Uh, we've done the hat man. Um, we have uh, Peter. We've talked about Peter, P-E-T-A. Um, I know Peter, the character actor who played Peter. I've worked with her herself. Wonderful, talented young actress. Big future ahead of her. Um, but you're the director. So um, who do we have there playing Peter? Well, Be uh, Bella Rose actually played um, Peter and did a phenomenal job as well. Like she was absolutely amazing. Sorry, Russ. Um, um, I'm not sure if you've gone further away from the mic. You've just gone a little quiet. Go ahead. That? Keep just keep talking. How's that? Yeah, that's a little better. Cool. Okay, cool. Um, where was I? Uh, Bella Rosa. Bella Rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We worked with. Uh, uh, I I ended up working with Bella Rose. Actually, I met her mum uh, a few years earlier. Um, but, um, but we couldn't work together because, um, like there wasn't really anything that I, that I did previously that I wanted to, um, work with Bella on. Um, and then when this project came along, um, originally, uh, Peter was, was written as a seven or eight year old, um, actor. Okay. Um, and, um, I couldn't find the, the right seven or eight year old actor actor to play the, the depth of the of the character because the thing is you have to believe that peter is actually in this world mm -hmm. and it's hard to tell a seven or eight year old kid that um you know there are shadow things coming out of your um <laughs> without scaring the hell out of them for one thing but also yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah um they just like if they don't get it they don't get it and it shows up on the screen Yes, yes. Um, and Bella's a very smart girl. You could tell that she got she is, the yeah. concept and she worked the concept beautifully. Definitely shout out Bella, beautiful work. Um, now we've done the, um, we have what was credited uh, as the character of Bump, B-U-M-P. <laughs> yeah, Bump. Um, Bump's actually, fun funnily enough, the first has the, let me start that again. Um, Bump essentially was the character that sort of stuck through the, the whole the whole time from day one to to, to now. Um, 
So that that character is, in my mind anyway, 11, almost 12 years old, whereas okay. everything else is like younger than her in, okay. in this film because they're all sort of like from different tweets, different drafts and so on and so forth. But um, Charlotte Ridley played Bump and um, we actually went through some movement um, things when we were when we were going in uh, pre-production because uh, moving like a shadow is something like um, th there's a shot in um, there's a shot that I wanted to put in the movie but I couldn't end up doing it because it just it took away from the flow of the film mm -hmm. but essentially what happens is you see this um, this shadow thing crawl on the floor like um, like you know when you hear a cockroach just move across the floor and it's got that type yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, basically, I wanted to give that effect to this shadow thing just crawling along the floor. And it it worked, but, again, it, it, it was something that we had to cut out because it just took away from uh, the flow. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, when they do appear in the film, it is very effective. And you were right to keep it subtle as well. Uh, I'm sure you remember the Exorcist Redux edit, you know, the backwards down the stairs and such. <laughs> yeah. What? No. Why? <laughs> what am so I watching is... now? <laughs> yeah. How did she, what did they say? Go back to bed, you naughty demon. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're wise to keep it subtle there. Um, and um, finally, with the cast, uh, we have Mum and Dad. Who played Mum and Dad there? Uh, Penny Ann Lace played Mia, who was the mother. Um, she, I, I actually had worked with her previously, um, but only for like one day, and it wasn't really much of a role where she could sink her teeth into. Mm -hmm. And she has this really good way of playing um, sad and betrodden um, type characters, like coming from a you know from a background um, that she does, which is as I understand, it's quite hard. Um, okay. But um, she sort of, I think she sort of drew on a lot of, of the traumas of her own past. Okay. Um, to, to really bring this character to life. Yeah, then, you, fe you felt for her. I felt for her. It was like, oh, you look tired. <laughs> you look worn out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Brent Donner played um, Jim uh, just because... Yeah, he, he, the the name of the name of the dad was called Jim just because like my dad's name is Jim, um, <laughs> but like also because I couldn't find another suitable name that was like so like succinct at telling yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, a very Australian character. Yeah, <laughs> a very basically. Australian dad. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, and I think he did an amazing amazing job. But um, he's been a friend of mine since we went to film school in 2011 i think oh shit okay okay yeah, nice. So a long, nice. long time yeah nice 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 um yeah it's what you were saying with um uh, the uh mia the character of mia there what's the actress's and actor's name again who played mia um she's called uh penny ann lace Penny Ann Lace, yeah, um, you're talking about how she brought her background or, you know, things from her past to the role. And that's um, also part of the uh, benefit of horror as well, mm. because, you know, you can channel and cathartically process uh, adult problems. You know what I mean? Exactly um, right. You know, comedy is good for the laughter, best medicine, but horror is also a good medicine in that sense as well. That's, you know, 
part of the reasons, one of the reasons that I love it so certainly. Um, I think we've covered all of the cast there. We've talked about the DOP. Uh, you, of course, are the actor, actor, sorry, director and writer. Yeah, the uh, person we haven't talked about yet is Wayne. Oh, of course, my apologies. Sorry, Wayne. Sorry, Wayne. Yes, who plays the Rod? I just Rod's... realized myself. Yeah, yeah. Rod Serling-esque uh, narrator at the start. Uh, it's Wayne O. Bassett, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah, yep. Wayne. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about getting Wayne into, it's not a replica, but it is a, what would you say, uh, an echo of Rod Serling, um, a, a, becoming a flash from the past, if you will. Um, yeah, you can explain it better. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the whole idea too was that, um, you know, the way that I wanted to tell this story was as close to my childhood roots as I, as I possibly could. And, you know, mm -hmm. with Twilight Zone being such a high, uh, like one of those things that I love so sincerely, um, I needed somebody that could play a character that was very... Um, Rod Sterling so that it could get that, that point across. Yep, just come um, up on the mic a little again, sorry. <clears throat> that, that, that we could get, uh, yeah, someone that we could, um, someone that we could mould into a kind of a Rod Sterling, I guess. Because um, I don't think anyone would ever really be able to play Rod Sterling. He's just too unique of a, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of a person. But yeah, um, it's getting the point across is the, is the, is the point. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You're getting that, um, put the point across and also the, um, a transference of atmosphere as well. So, you know, what kind of uh, mystery you are about to watch, which he did do very well. He did do very well. Um, I'm glad that you, uh, what's the word told him not to worry about the accent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would have taken away from it. I, yes. I think because, um, this is sort of how I how I said in the beginning is I needed a Rod I needed a Rod Serling, and if you couldn't get the accent and the and the intonation right, then sacrifice the accent for the intonation because yeah. the intonation is the thing that carries the suspense with it. Perfect, perfectly put, perfectly put. Now you set the mood and tone of the piece perfectly there. Uh, shout out, Wayno, beautiful work. Um, now, uh, I think uh, with the crew, we've covered everyone, uh, apart from the editor. Do, do you edit uh, your works and this work itself there, Russ? Yeah, uh, this is my edit, but um, the sound um, was done by... Yeah, beautiful. Um, sh sh uh, the sound was done by um, sh uh, Shannon, <clears throat> Shannon Wither uh, Withers. Um, uh -huh. he's, he's better known here as um, the Soundhound. Um, okay. He basically gets gets every bit of work that comes here in a sense in the sound department because he's that good. Um, yeah. He's worked with Chris Sun, um, you oh. know, with with a few other people as well who are right up there. Yeah. Um, IA, which is uh, which is coming out um, soon as well. Um, he worked on that, um, and and this yeah. He's, he basically works on everything and I needed somebody that would really do do this justice and mm -hmm. <laughs> the devil's in the details and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, and we can't forget about the sound person, even like the bass player in a band, they're always forgotten, but they play an essential critical part, of course. Uh, and it's certainly in a horror film, 
particularly of this kind and nature as well. Uh, sound is crucial and also, so also is the music as well. I was quite impressed by the score. Who is behind that, please? Um, his, his name is uh, Sasi Kumar um, B. Um, he's actually an uh, um, Indian gentleman from, uh, he did say, I can't remember, but he's in India actually. Um, anyway, and that's, and, and um, we spoke a lot over Facebook to, to find out like what his style was and, and all that sort of stuff. Cause originally, originally I was thinking more of a Danny Elfman type thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I kind of like what he, with what Sassy Kumar came back with more because I think if I went that Elfman route, it would have been too playful. Yes, yes, playful is the word, which isn't a bad thing. I'm an Elfman fan, as we all are of our generation growing up, absolutely. Um, but uh, what your gentleman, your composer added to it was uh, a, uh, a somber, a necessary sense of somberness as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a, not, a, not, a, not a depressive quality or anything like that. A sense of melancholy to the whole thing which was needed as well, certainly. And it rose up at the right times to add to that suspense uh, when it needed that little bit of, uh, you know, em emphasis as well. Yeah, that was very well done. And worked beautifully with the interplay between blue and red, worked beautifully with the light is what I noticed as well. Yeah, that's what um, I thought too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay, um, now, we'll, now we've done future in the pitch black episodes we were looking towards a feature film and you're saying at the moment it's doing a it's going around the short film festival circuit when do you think uh people will be able to see a general audience will be able to see it our local uh brisbane queensland audience will be able to see it what's the uh what's the next step for it well what i really want to do is sometime in october around Halloween to sort of like um, show it for one night only again. Um, mm -hmm. And then also um, once it's finished doing the festival circuit, um, you know, mid, mid to late next year, um, it will um, be released um, on VOD as well. Um, nice. And in, in the meantime, uh, my, my writing partner, um, Kim Shiel and, and I will um, be working on the, the the roots of the of the feature nice excellent excellent so uh, we've already yeah. sort of started it at the moment but um mm -hmm. i'm not really sure what i can give away right now yeah yeah okay no 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 i don't want any spoilers or anything like that or to you know uh ruin the effect of the of any releases for you either in the future but i look forward to being able to see it on a bigger screen as well and not Definitely. just my pid piddly little laptop here Okay, um, we've covered how it represents your repressed thoughts and dark side um, to a T there, very well clarified and articulated. Um, we can touch on that, we can finish off with this as well. Uh, what's it like to be an independent filmmaker in Brisbane and what's next for Borderless? I see I wrote Borderless down here. I must have been thinking about Borderlands, the movie, because I know <laughs> that's becoming a movie soon. <laughs> but anyway. What it's, what's it like to be an independent filmmaker in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia? Um, what's And what's next for Borderless Productions? If you want to add to anything, tie anything off, now's the opportunity. Well, from what I understand, Borderless is doing a couple more short films. Um, one of them is actually being directed, uh, written and directed by, a, by a, a friend of mine called Anton. 
um, Ek. Uh, he's a, um, a Swedish gentleman and quite probably more 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 talented than I am actually. <laughs> um, but um, we both have different different approaches to film and stuff like that. Um, so like with Borderless, uh, who's um, my producer, uh, my producer friend, um, his baby, his name's uh, Kyle Ritchie. Um, he's in Sydney at the moment, actually. Um, so like, you know, everything's yeah. up in the air a bit at the moment, but um, it can be because, um, you know, between doing festival circuits and, and developing other projects and stuff like that, we only really need sure. to get together every, you know, whenever. Sure. But, um, uh, I think for me with Borderless, the, the next thing that I'm going to do is, um, is the feature of in the pitch black. Um, but we're actually not calling it, um, in the pitch black. We're calling the feature, um, the darkest shade. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So yeah. It's going to be a bit darker than the film, uh, than the short version and um, okay. focus is more on the parents rather than the child this time. Okay. Um, but there's still crossovers of themes and, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And You've got a motif going, if you will, a thematic yeah. motif being established. I like that. I like that. Um, and outside of Borderless, as R.J. Reddle, the filmmaker, do you have anything um, in the works that you want to talk about? I'm in pre-production for a feature, a feature film um, at the moment. Uh, hard-edged drama actually about uh, the um, the beating of a of a young boy by um, by authorities um, and how that affected uh, the the, the neighbourhood and the people that knew this kid. Oh, okay. Um, so it's quite hard hitting. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Is this based on any uh, event incident that actually happened? You know, based on a true story. Um, it is actually based on a true story, um, but um, I'm actually not not writing this one. Um, I okay. I got hired based on the strength of, of in the pitch black. Um, nice, congratulations. Um, I sort of sent uh, sent it over to this this producer and thought, you know, well, what could happen? You know, if I if I get nothing out of it, I've not lost anything, and if I get something out of it, then I've won. You know. Yeah, good way to look at it. Good way to look at it, definitely. Okay, well, I um, look forward to seeing how things develop. Absolutely. I will promote in my own uh, little way, my own little channel uh, here through the Cinema Salon. Absolutely. Um, and I will advertise when it's available uh, in the Pitch Black and anything else uh, for public screenings, certainly. So keep me up to date, keep me informed. Yeah. Um, very good to catch up very good to interview on this nice little piece of work that is in the pitch black once more Borderless productions by rj riddle uh, congratulations to cast and crew very well done and uh yes and i think the doors of the cinema salon are now closed and that's a wrap on in the pitch black <laughs> fade to black Serving up slaughter, 
on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.